to the second episode of the 2016 Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Ian Riccoboni, and of course, I'm joined by my good friend and my colleague, co-host, host, uh, Steve Carino. Welcome, Steve. Good day to you. Good day to everybody that was listening. Hey, by, uh, real quick, thanks for everybody that downloaded and subscribed to our first episode. Uh, man, it was, it was pretty cool to hear some of the numbers that we had gotten. So let's keep it up and... Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a fun year. Absolutely. And, you know, it was very, it was almost overwhelming, the, the response we got and the numbers we got. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it, and we, we hope you'll enjoy this one as well. Uh, last week we had talked about, uh, this week is going to be pitchers and catchers as we recorded. Um, they reported, Steve. <laughs> well, they reported except for one. Right. Yeah. Who, who was that? <laughs> that was um, one Matt Harrison who decided not to report. Now, everything that I read about Matt Harrison says that he has a severe uh, back injury that's keeping him from coming. And now the Phillies don't even expect him to come to spring training, which is very interesting because I thought he was a a major part of this Cole Hamels trade. And, um, you know, it, I, I was hoping for the best for him, but I guess uh, – we're not going to see him in a Phillies uniform uh, in the in the short while. Right. They said the the articles that were coming out of spring training indicated that that he likely will not pitch until 2017. And that was kind of a surprise, too, because I know you had you had expected big things this year. I kind of earmarked him for maybe midseason. I expected him to join the team and and kind of give them a boost. Uh, it was definitely important in the Cole Hamels deal to get some sort of major league talent. I think there was that element. There's also the element he's making close to $13 million, so it helped balance the salaries a bit. But that is a little disappointing because, you know, heading into the year, I expected him to kind of be the veteran anchor. Me too. And, you know, that was the thing with the, the, the salary balance and stuff like that. And, and- you know, as a, as a numbers guy, I would be going, "Oh my goodness, what what kind of what kind of bill of sale did we get?" But um, you know, I guess with the insurance that they could get some money back from it, and you know, it's not going to be too much of a loss. But you know, for wins and losses, and and, and being on that staff, I, I definitely think that it hurts. But it's going to give opportunity to, uh, you know, a few other players. Yeah, and and those players are who we're going to talk about right now. So. The I guess the question every year is who's going to be the opening day starter, and and for the Phillies that that hasn't been a question they've really needed to answer in the last couple of years, because uh, Cole Hamels was the de facto guy uh, with Cliff Lee mixed in, and then of course right before that Roy Holiday uh, in his run of dominance on at the top of the National League. But this year it's it's kind of wide open. Um, Steve, who do you think is going to be the the opening day starter for the Phillies? You know what I'm going I'm going with Nola. I'm going mm-hmm. like. Let's start with a with a new era. Let's you know. Let's throw our guy right out there. I, I know Charlie Morton would probably be a a good pick, or you know, Helixson, or but I, I want to go young. We're 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 in a rebuild. We're going young. Let's put our, our our best foot forward. And I'm going with Aaron Nola. How about you? Sure. So I, I like that reasoning, but I'm I'm going to differ here. I think I really think that Jeremy Helixson is going to end up being the opening day starter. Um, and for no other reason than just as, as kind of a thank you and, and as a, a kind of a measure of trust <laughs> to Jeremy Allison. And I think that's important because uh, he's a guy entering a new situation. Um, I think it's transparent to him that he may be somebody that if he performs well might end up on a contender. And I, and I think there might be some sort of, you know, kind of trust offering by making him the opening day starter. Now, do I think that's a right way to conduct business? Eh, yes and no. But, you know, I think he's going to end up being the opening day starter. Now, let me ask you, if he's the open day, opening day starter, do you think it's something where the management thinks that if we make him look more important in July, he'll, he will be more important? Um you know, for, for sake of putting him towards a contender, whether it be a Dodgers, whether it be, you know, a Yankees or something like that, to, to get a couple prospects back. Do you, do you think that putting a guy like Helixson as your opening day starter just gives the, you know, the assumption that this guy is more than what he, he really is? Well, you know, that's a great question. And I, I think I think there's there's two folds there. Yeah, I, I think there there is a little bit of adding to his resume with that. And, and I, 
also think that, you know, it might take some of the pressure off of Aaron Nola. I mean, Aaron Nola, I, I believe, is about to turn 23, uh, hasn't even turned 23 yet, if my math is correct. I'm, I'm really bad <laughs> with, with <laughs> birthdays and years and things. Uh, but, you know, he's a young man who hasn't even had a full season in the majors yet. And I, I think a lot of people forget that. I think a lot of people might put the cart before the horse with him and, and Eikhoff, uh, because both of those both of those players had really, really nice debuts last year in some short, short samples. And I think the element of, hey, these are two super young guys <laughs> is lost is has been lost on a lot of Phillies fans that are very, you know, very admirably getting excited about the season, as I think you and I are. I, I totally agree with you. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see because there's so many factors that, that are going into the, the Philly season this year, you know, just because it's a rebuild and just because we have a couple veterans, we have some, you know, some great young talent coming up, especially now with the uh, another good Rule 5 draft uh, pickup by the Phillies. This is going to be a year, in, you know, in 2017, it's going to be a year of transition, two years of transition, but fun for once. You know, it's not the 91 team that just couldn't get out of their own way. This is a team that you know is just going to go through some growing pains and, and get to that next level. And, you know, having Hellickson, having Morton there, and if they have good April to July's, you know, that, that could pay back dividends in more prospects. Sure. And and the Phillies, you know, it, it's exciting because tomorrow's last couple trades have seemed to bear some some serious fruit, um, including, you know, the Jimmy Rollins deal is one I always look at because I um, I believe Zach Eflin could be a major contributor at some point during the season, whether it's at AAA or, or with a major league team. And then, of course, the Hamels deal, the Giles deal. So, you know, the success, the general manage, the general managerial success seems to have been contagious and has seemed to carry over from one to the other. And uh, you have some smart guys in the Phillies front office now that are, you know, contributing in in all kinds of different ways. They finally have an analytics uh, person who I believe off the top of my head is Andy Galdi, but I could be wrong. Um, you know, he's the he's the director of baseball research and development. And they have this new kind of system and way of analyzing players. They were definitely the last team in the majors to do it, but I'm glad they're finally doing it. And I I think that it was a smart move by Matt Klentek to get Hellickson uh, because I think he is definitely somebody who may have some value. Like you said, with a hot start, you may be able to convince a team that, that he's slightly more valuable than he is. Charlie Morton's a guy I'm not so high on, though. I, I'm not a Charlie Morton guy, Steve. Why not? You see, I am. I, I and I don't know why. I don't have any reason for it. <laughs> I, I believe that he can be an innings eater if he stays healthy. And I, you know, just like Hellickson, I believe he's got something to prove. Sure. Well, I think I think you're right. Um, Charlie Morton has been healthier and has been more of a, a workhorse than Hellickson over the last couple seasons. Hellickson has struggled um, to cross the 100 plus innings boundaries, whereas Morton has not. Um, in the last five seasons, I'm looking at his stats right now. Um, Morton has had at least 115 innings pitched in in four four out of the last five seasons. But the problem for me with Morton is the numbers are going in the wrong direction. Um, if you look at his ERA, if you look at his fielding, independent pitching, his FIP, um, those are kind of going the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> and his and the big one for me um, is his strikeouts. And I know strikeouts aren't necessarily important to be a great pitcher, uh, but those have gone down as well. Now, the interesting thing with Morton, he's been kind of inconsistent with his walks per nine innings pitched, and he's been kind of Jekyll and Hyde. So if we get the if we get the Jekyll, um, you know, we could have an, a very interesting bargain with Charlie Morton if he can keep his walks down. Um, if we get the Hyde and his walks are around three walks per nine innings pitched, which is kind of bad. Um, or maybe they're like the 4.04 walks per innings pitch that he put up in 2011. Um, we got the bad Charlie Morton, and, and we're, <laughs> we should ask for a refund. Right. You know, so it could go either way. So it's uh, – man, is it, is it going to be an interesting year? Now, let's go into the Rule 5 draft. You know, okay. the Phillies have been successful 
you know, a couple times, you know, we, we know about Shane Victorino, what he did for this club in, in the golden era. And then last year with Abdul, Abdul Durera, that's <laughs> horrible, horrible name that comes off my tongue, but what a great player. But this year we picked up Tyler Goodell and, <laughs> you know, I was very surprised that Tampa Bay actually let him go, like left him unprotected. So it it was very interesting to see. And looking up his numbers in double A, 12 home runs, 17 doubles, 10 triples, 28 stolen bases, and can play all three outfield positions. Do you see this guy being um, in, in right or left field? Yeah, I think he could very easily be the opening day left fielder. Uh, I don't know much about his arm, and that's why I hesitate to say right field, but he did come up as a third baseman. So, uh, you know, the arm might be there, but, you know, he's he's a guy, admittedly, that I only know from his stat line. I haven't got to see him play yet. But like you said, the, the stat line is full, though. <laughs> the stat line um, is running over. He's he's a guy who's checking off all the boxes, whether it be power, speed, um you know, on base percentage has been going in the right direction uh, every every year. Every year he's been promoted. Uh, so 2013, he was in single A. 2014, high A. 2015, double A. He's improved every year, and there's a, not a facet of his game that has seemingly gotten worse. And that's kind of exciting to get a, a man who's I believe he's 23, going on 24. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure why the Rays just let him become available because that's a team that, that is struggling for an identity right now. And, and he's a guy that I thought might be able to help them. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And you know, Tampa needs that help, but I think Goodell has the ability, has the potential to be a star. I mean, he's young. He's with 12 home runs at double a at this age, you know, that, that could be 20, 25 in, in the big leagues if he can put it all together. He can run. We need that. You know, it, everything I read about his arm is is pretty is pretty good. So it's going to be interesting to see what they could do for him, where they're going to place him. You know, does Herrera go to right? You know, what, this outfield is such a mystery right now to me that he could fit anywhere. He, he could be that piece. I don't see him sitting on the bench if he comes out, you know, uh, hitting hard. In, in in spring, right? He's not a guy like Ender Inciarte, who I'm. I, he's like the one that got away from me. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's he's the one that uh, you know. I, I don't know if the Phillies could have done much with him, uh, just because I think he was a little too raw to be in the majors in 2013. But to you know, he's not a guy like Inciarte where there's not a place for him to play. It, you know, certainly with this team, um, there's a full there's three outfield spots for four players, it seems like. And so he, everybody on the, in the, everybody who's an outfielder on this team is going to get ample opportunity to show that they can play. And I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to him in on philliesnation.com. We had to pick which prospect would be, which prospect we thought would have the biggest major league contribution. And I, I picked Goodell. Um, and, and, uh, I'm I'm just excited. I'm I'm excited to see if he'll continue to make the transition from the infield to the outfield because I think that's the one thing that can hold him back. Um, but at the same time, you know, just play him. I mean, you know, this season is going to be between probably 65 and 70 wins. So why not why not throw the guy out there? You know, he, every year he's gotten better and better, and you know, maybe this is the year that he answers the challenge at the major league level. Right. It's on the job training. And I believe that, you know, if we're in this rebuild, I, I want to throw, you know, I, I definitely want to throw Nola out there 34 times. I, I definitely want to see what he's got. I want to see what Goodell's got. I want to see what Cameron Rupp's got. I, you know, I, I want to see if Darren Ruff can handle first base 81 games a year, 100 games a year, it, it, you know. It's one of those years that let's throw a bunch of poop against the wall and see what sticks, and then we can fill in from there. We have a lot of great young players coming up, and I believe that this is the time. You're not worried about winning the East. You're not worried about 500. You're not even worried about 70 wins. You're worried about preparing for the future. Yeah, and I think I think that's no more apparent in, in the starting pitching. So we, we talked about Aaron Nola. We talked about... Uh, Jeremy Hellickson, a little bit about Charlie Morton. 
Uh, the big news yesterday, and we're recording this Saturday morning, so the big news on Friday when I got off the airplane from Dallas was that Jared Eikhoff had broken his thumb bunting <laughs> in a bunting uh, drill in spring training. Now, does that give more fuel to the fire of bringing the DH to the National League? You know, I I saw a lot of people on Twitter mentioning that, and I saw a lot of people going back and forth. I couldn't tell if they were being facetious or if they were actually in support of it. And I don't, you know, we had talked about this a little bit, Steve. I am actually against the DH because I like the strategic element of having the pitcher hit. But I, I totally agree with you, and it's not just being like old school and. You know, it's what I grew up with because I, I believe in expansion. I believe in interleague play. I believe in the the uh, instant replay to turn over mistakes and stuff like that. But I love the aspect of there are two different ways to play baseball in in the major league level. You you have the American League style with the with the DH. You have the National League style with the the pitcher hitting. I love it. You know, as an avid player of uh, MLB, uh, the show, you know, I always make sure that I have a um, National League team. And, of course, I'm the Phillies. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's just go right to it. But and it's because I do love that aspect of, it, it, you know, just pinch hitting, making sure double switches, making sure I have this, making sure I have that. And to me, that's what makes it a lot of fun. It's that strategic, whereas um, – you know, if you go with the DH, you don't have to make as many changes. You know, you're you're not playing small ball as much as, as the National League level, which I, I, I absolutely love. So I hope that they don't get rid of the D. I hope that they do not bring the DH to the National League because I, I like that that extra, you know, aspect of the American League has to hit their pitcher or they have to bat their pitcher when they, when they come over or, you know, the other way around, we got to add a, add a bat, you know? So it, it really makes for uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot. You, you mentioned pinch hitters and I'm going to put you on the spot and say, who is your favorite Phillies kind of pinch hitting specialist? Well, you know, this is, this is where the age and generation gap, happen me for me del unser wow 1980 phillies you know i think you i, I think you were ready for me to say greg gross yeah <laughs> uh, del unser was a, a guy that when i was seven eight years old i was like man this guy's gonna hit a home run this guy's gonna hit a home run yeah uh, but uh he, he he was good what about you well he was actually on the tip of my tongue because he had the he had the stretch where he had the three home runs and the three pinch hit at bats and and that I believe is still the major league record, but you know I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to show my age and and go with uh, go with Matt Stairs. I mean he, wow, he, that's yeah, good. he was a home run threat. You know every time he stepped to the plate, and uh, when they asked him, you know I believe it was after the 2008 NLCS when he he hit the big home run, and uh, they had asked him, you know what what were you thinking? What was your approach? And he <laughs> said. He said he was looking for a home run the whole time. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I am. Uh, I, I loved Matt Stairs. I, I thought he did an amazing job as a Phil, as a Philly, and um, oh, he, he was he was great. Uh, what a great pick! Yeah, no, and the, you know, and I'm, it, but there you there you see the the importance of having somebody who can come off the bench and do that, especially in the National League. I mean, without either of those two guys, the Phillies don't don't win either world series. So I totally agree. And it, it shows how crazy it is that, you know, you can, that 25th man, that 24th man could be the, um, could be the benefit for a, a world series. Right. So if we, if we head back to pitching with Eikhoff, um, he's a guy that I was really excited about. I think he kind of overperformed last year. Uh, he had the ERA under three. It was 265. Um, his his stats in the majors were actually better than his career averages in the minors, which is kind of a red flag to me. <laughs> yes. Um, because that, that indicates that it might not be super sustainable. Now, they were close enough to give you some hope that, okay, maybe they'll – Maybe they'll get a little bit worse in 2016, and maybe he'll stay around the same player. But 
I don't think he'll be nearly as successful as he was. I th- I still think he'll be pretty good. I mean, he's another guy who's only 22 years old. Yeah, and that's the thing. He's going to have some growing pains, just like the whole team. And you know, only time is going to tell to see if he can sustain these numbers or, you know, is he going to be a guy that falls off? I, I have faith. I, I have a little faith in this guy. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he can do, you know, in a full season up in the big leagues. And, you know, then they we, we go from there. But, you know, this is a, such a team with so many questions. And I don't know, like, I, I know fans are going to be – down because you know the the losses are going to be up but if you look at the whole picture this becomes a very very exciting season because of the possibilities you know what happens uh you know in a year or two when all of a sudden you know these young guys that were losing 90 games are all of a sudden winning 90 games and you know it, it becomes the the 07, 08, 09, 10, 11, 12 Phillies, you know, and mm-hmm. we see a golden age again and not have to wait 28 years. Sure. And, and there's some really exciting names with pitchers and catchers reporting. Uh, I'll just throw a, cu- a couple quick ones out there. Vincent Velasquez. Um, he's the guy who came over in the Ken Giles trade. I was reading an article on Fangraphs by Eno Saros, who I really, really like. Um, he's usually right on the money with his analysis. And it says the quick opinion on Vincent Velasquez if only his projections were worse, there might not be a better sleeper in baseball this year. As it is, it looks like everyone will be on, in on Velasquez. Just remember, he may not break camp with the Phillies, and you may have to wait a month or two to see that sizzling stuff in Philadelphia. So there's a guy who's probably not even going to make the team out of spring training that will see action in Philadelphia, and he already has these these prospect gurus salivating. <laughs> so, And he's a guy that, that I feel like, very few folks outside of, you know, hardcore Philly fans are talking about. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, this this guy could be a uh, a major star in Philadelphia. He's a, he's a go-getter. He's a hard player. And it, that's right. He might not start the year on the, on the big club, but he's going to get that experience in Lehigh Valley. He's going to get those innings in. He's, and I believe he's going to dominate. And once again, you know, it might not be May. It may not be June. But what happens if... Hellickson, uh, you know, gets traded or Morton gets traded. And this guy is primed and ready to, to come in and make an impact for the last two months of the season. This is where the excitement really, really comes uh, comes through with, with some of these guys. Now, we know that we have some former Phillies that still don't have jobs as as spring training is is uh, among us. Right. Dominic Brown still still looking for a job but the one that baffles me is jimmy rollins is still looking for a job now yeah where do you see jimmy rollins fitting in wow that's that's a really interesting question i you know i hadn't even considered where he might go but i think that might be part of the problem right now um there's very few vacancies and there was talk in january and february um earlier february about how he might be a guy that that might fit in at second base. Um, but right now, it's it's not a golden age of second baseman, but, you know, there are good 20 teams that have a solid second baseman uh, kind of with an eye to the future, and that includes that includes the Phillies with Cesar Hernandez. So, you know, it's tough to see him fitting anywhere at second base. It's tough to see him fitting um, kind of anywhere at, at shortstop. I think... Off the top of my head, the most interesting fit might be the White Sox. They're a team that that seems to want to compete, and he might be a great piece to have on their bench. Um, Alexi Ramirez was a little disappointing last year, and I they don't have a, a real good fit at second base. So I think maybe Rollins could fit in there. I'm also kind of surprised the Diamondbacks didn't kick the tires a bit. Um, last year, they traded Didi Gregorius to the Yankees, um, and they don't really seem to have... A, you know, there seems to be a revolving door in the infield with the Diamondbacks, and adding somebody like Jimmy Rollins to that mix uh, might stabilize it a little bit. Because, you know, in my opinion, he's still a very, very good defender, and you know, obviously his hitting not so good last year, hit two twenty four, but you know, he still hit thirteen home runs, still stole twelve bases, and he was still around a, a slightly league average or slightly above league average defender. So 
he has value still. And I, I'm really surprised that, you know, Jimmy Rollins might not get signed for a 16th major league season or 17th Wait. major league season. You, you hit the nail on the head with the White Sox. I, I think with the breakdown in negotiations with Ian Desmond, you, you never know where he's going to show up. There's, there's something keeping him away from getting a job that Rollins could be a very, very economical um, co- a component for the, the White Sox, you know, um, if he's willing to play second base, if he's willing to play shortstop, if he's willing to mentor these guys. Um I believe that he he could be a a key there, but once again, the Yankees. I definitely see Jimmy Rollins being picked up by by the Yankees, and um, you know to 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 give Gregorius uh, a chance to get those growing pains gone, and you know there there's different things that he could do, but I think at this point Rollins is going to find a team halfway through spring training because somebody's going to go down. There's you know the all thirty teams you know, have their, their shortstops in place and second baseman's in place, but there's always an injury. And that's where I think Rollins is going to fit in, you know, maybe $2 million, $3 million guaranteed for the year. But I, I definitely don't see him signing a minor league contract. I see him getting a major league deal, being a, you know, a guy that's going to fill in and, you know, he's going to, he's going to probably play another year or two. I, I'd like to see him go to San Francisco or, or Oakland because I know he's, from that area. But, you know, what about Don Brown? You know, yeah. as opposed to yeah, you know, a guy like Jimmy Rollins, who is older, you know, Don Brown's relatively young. Right. Yeah. Dominic Brown um, really, really, really surprises me that he is still, you know, he's still available. However, um, you know, a couple quick stats that I, you know, that I always have on hand when talking about Don Brown. Uh, May 2013, that was the big breakout. Um, hit 303, 688 slugging, 12 homers. Um, you know, he was at one point Baseball America's number one prospect. Now, he he has 54 career home runs. Um, exactly half of those came in 2013. So he's, you know, he's 28 years old. I think he's running out of time. It says a lot about a team that will forego arbitration. Uh, with a player and just let them walk, especially when they were a former top prospect. And yeah, yeah, man, he like, that just makes me think that something else was going on. Like, and not injury per se, but like, is it something to where he does not fit in their plans because of, you know, I, I'd never heard anything bad about his attitude or anything like that, but maybe work ethic. Do, do they believe that he's not going to work hard enough uh, for, what they're they're trying to accomplish or why he's a he's a very strange player in in my my MLB the show game. <laughs> um, he's been hurt twice, hitting okay, but he's that Pat Burrell who gets those big hits when it really doesn't matter. Like when you're up <laughs> fourteen nothing or down thirteen nothing, all of a sudden he's getting the, the those big hits. So yeah, uh, it, it's good. Be it's going to be cool to see if he can get a, a job this spring spring and you know i don't i don't even know where he would fit it just seems like there is a plethora of outfielders out there i don't believe that he has the consistency to be a dh you know and um uh where does dominic brown fit now do you would you think that maybe a year or two in japan would be something that dominic brown would benefit from or do you believe that he's just gonna stick it out for a while you know, it's really interesting. He had as a as an amateur athlete in high school, he had a lot of offers to to play football. I believe he signed a letter of intent to play at, at Georgia Tech, um, or maybe it was Florida State. Uh, but he was a guy that uh, just an incredible athlete, and it's baffling to me that that he hasn't latched on. Japan uh, would be a very interesting option, um, you know. But I wonder if at this point, um, it took a lot of money to sign Dominic Brown. He got a very high signing bonus despite being um, a 20th round draft pick uh, because they they anticipated that they would need to throw some extra money at him to forego his college football commitments at a big time program. So he's a guy that just might have enough money and it just might this might be it. And we see that every now and again where, you know, it's no longer worth the headache because he's financially, you know, he's financially satisfied between the original signing bonus and what he's made in the majors. He's had two years, I believe, two years of of um, 
arbitration money. Uh, last year, I think he made around two million or two and a half million. Um, he's a guy that just might have the the proverbial uh, fu money. <laughs> you know, he might just have enough money. This might be it. Um, it always seemed like, it, to me, it always seemed like he he had the feeling of, I don't get why this is working, why this isn't working, rather. Like it when it when he was in that stretch when he became an all star in 2013, everything seemed everything looked so easy. When he was a minor leaguer with Redding with Lehigh Valley, everything looked so easy. That element of looking easy turned into grinding gears when he was in the majors. And I'm really not sure what the disconnect was there. Like I, I, I agree with you. I don't know, especially with so many vacancies in their outfield with, you know, I don't know what happened there with Don Brown, but I, I think, I don't know if Japan's in the cards. I think if he doesn't latch on with the team, I think that might be it for Don Brown because he has made uh, a significant amount of money very quickly. He is only 28 years old. And, to me, he strikes me as the type of player that if he doesn't get signed this year, that might be okay with him, and he he might just wrap it up. Wow, very interesting. I I I, I think at twenty eight, you still have that that fire in you, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the difference. I, I think he holds out to find a, a job, but we'll uh, we're gonna definitely see. Yeah, and then the other one that that strikes me as interesting is is his twenty thirteen All Star compatriot Cliff Lee. Uh, <laughs> I hear some groans. What? Uh, not a big Cliff Lee fan. I, you know what? I was, I was, I, I believe that you know Cliff Lee was a great pitcher at one time, but to me, Cliff Lee is the shark that you know that jumped. I, I didn't think we needed him in '09, even though that you know he did so well, and in, in, especially in the playoffs and stuff like that. I, I didn't believe that we. Uh, needed him for, uh, uh, you know, when, when we got him back. And then him sitting out last year, then taking the, the buyout and not even offering the Phillies like, hey, man, you know, I, I know I just took $10 million or so from you. And, you know, but uh, I'm going to go to the highest bidder. You know, not even to offer a Phillies like a hometown discount. Let's see what I can do. You know, it's not even in his cards right now. And I, I just believe that there he'll pick up uh, he'll get a team in june or july it'll be that pedro martinez roger clemens where he'll be the uh the mercenary but the thing that bothered me most about cliff lee back in the day was do you remember that he had an argument with shane victorino in the in the dugout once no i, I don't remember that yeah, and I believe it was over hustle or something like that. And Victorino called him out on something. And I thought, you know, maybe it's because I, I love Victorino. But I, I believe that that was one of those things that, like, you know, he maybe Cliff Lee didn't fit in with the, the, the rest of the, the team. And, you know, you could have a guy that's so good but be a chemistry killer. And then, you know, then, then things start falling apart. And this guy... He should have, I, I believe, he should have got the surgery. There, there's a reason why there's surgery. You know, right. get in, get out, do it. But, you know, he didn't do it. And, and I, I believe that he owes the Phillies, I, I believe he owes the Phillies fans, a opportunity to make right. You know, you, you, you take all this money. And I, I get it. I, I get it that you're hurt and, you know, you're, you're, you need to recover. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be, loyal to any team you have to be loyal to your family yada 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 <laughs> he owes it to the phillies well we'll talk he about show up at spring training you know on a on a, a good incentive late contract help the young guys out help these help the aaron Nolas out the icos out and and see what he can do and then take a july trade yeah talk about fu money i mean i'm looking at his contract right now 21 million in 2012 25 million in 2013 <laughs> 25 million in 2014, uh, 25 million in 2015, and then this year was a a 12.5 million dollar buyout. Now, oh. he I now you mentioned the Shane Victorino story, and that reminded me of the the times when you know he would ground out and he would just kind of walk to first base. Yes, and that bothers me. That kind of bothered me too, and you know, 
at least Jimmy Rollins jogged. <laughs> at least Jimmy Rollins, you know. And at least there was uh, consequences to Jimmy Rollins. Like right. Charlie Manuel would sit him down and, you know, he wouldn't put up with it. But, you know, for some reason, Cliff Lee was always put on this pedestal of, oh, he's Cliff Lee. We can't do anything about it. Right. And, you know, it, it's stuff that bothered me over the years. I, 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 I really grew into a a Cliff Lee hater. And I hate to do that. I mean, I don't put them on the same lines as a, a George Bell or a Juan <laughs> Bell or a David Bell or sure. any, any, anybody not named Buddy Bell. Um, <laughs> but I, I still look at it, you know, this, this guy had, you know, stuff that he, he could have done to help this team. And he, he really didn't, we, we didn't win the world series with him in 08. So no. You know, I, I don't believe I believe that he thinks more of himself than we do. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, you mentioned uh, you mentioned George Bell. We'll get we'll get to that one next week. <laughs> oh, oh, that guy. Yeah, let's um, let's run through the catchers real quick, because it's, it's a very short crop of catchers this year. Uh, pitchers and catchers. We talked a lot about the starters. Um, some of the ones we missed that you might see later in the year that we'll definitely talk about at some point. Mark Appel, you know, former number one pick. Uh, Jake Thompson, Zach Eflin, and one that my good friend Jay Floyd, uh, who's the minor league expert at Phillies Nation, has really circled is Franklin Killame. Uh, he's 6'6", he's got a 3'4 arm slot, uh, he's improved just about everything, his velocity is, has accelerated remarkably, he had a great season with Williamsport, so we'll def- those guys are definitely on our radar as are David Buchanan, who was one of the worst pitchers in baseball last year. Oh, and, and, he's the guy that's still one of the worst pitchers in my MLB to show. Like, I have three games left in my 2015 season. And, like, so I'm trying to save my pitchers for the playoffs. And I bring Buchanan in, and he just, oh, my goodness. I, I would be better off throwing my two-year-old out there right now. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and he's a guy that I think we may have seen the last of David Buchanan. And then uh, there's Severino Gonzalez, who was the minor league pitcher of the year in 2014. Uh, we got a got a preview of him last year, and the results weren't good. And, you know, he's got poor breaking balls. Um, according to Fangraphs, his slider was one of the worst thrown pitches in baseball last year. Um, it had a minus 15 value, which on that scale is really, really, really bad. Uh, yes, and, very bad. And his, his curveball uh, had a minus 5 value, which is... Um, not as bad as minus 15, which is uh, pretty bad. But so Gonzalez doesn't really have anything other than a straight fastball. And I don't think that'll play well, even though he is also very young. He's only 23 years old. But we'll get to we'll get to the catchers. Of course, I don't think there's any argument that if he's healthy, Carlos Ruiz will be on the major league team. I don't think he'll be cut. <laughs> and uh, of course, there's Cameron Rupp, who, in my opinion, slightly outplayed Ruiz last year. He, he sure did. And you know what's crazy? I like Cameron Rupp. I, I, I think that, you know, as, as a, a ball player, he's going to be good. I, I, I thought he, would, he did well with the catchers. But can you believe that this guy in my, you know, and I, I do everything according to my MLB The Show game. <laughs> can you believe that this guy hit is hitting a paltry 174 as a backup catcher for me? Like, Cole Hamels is hitting better than Cameron Rupp in my game. And it bothers me because I know like this guy could be so good and, and it's so much better. And, uh, you know, but I, I think if he is going to catch a hundred games a year this year, uh, that's, that's going to be beneficial for him and beneficial for the, um, for the team. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Carlos Ruiz, I think the big question with him, um, is will he get traded? And I, you know, he's a guy that, again, I keep coming back to the Diamondbacks because they seem to they seem to be the Dodgers of last year. <laughs> they just seem to just acquire everybody. Um, I could see the Diamondbacks maybe making a midseason run at Ruiz. Um, there are quite a few other teams, actually, where Ruiz, I think, would fit in well. So it wouldn't surprise me if Rupp um, kind of takes control of the starting position. He had an interesting quote yesterday, and I wanted to get your opinion. Uh, he, you know, in my opinion, Rupp outplayed Ruiz last year. But yesterday, on Friday, he told reporters that he doesn't believe he's the favorite to win the starting catching job. Um, is that just modesty? Is is that just him deferring to Ruiz? Or that- I, I think so. I think it's, you know, he's the, he's the incumbent. You know, it's he's got to say the right thing. Or, you know, there, there's that, 
that unwritten rule in baseball, you know, you have to, uh, you know, you, you have to respect the veterans and stuff like that. So I, I definitely believe that he is doing that as a, as a way to, um, you know, be politically correct in the baseball world. But yeah. uh, he did. He played. He played better than. Um, he played better than Ruiz last year, and I think Ruiz knows that. And I think Ruiz is going to have to, you know, either have one amazing spring, or be ready to be a backup catcher. And, yeah. You know, and we got to think towards the future. This is the last year for him. Without a, I mean, without a doubt, this is the last year for Carlos Ruiz. Right. But there's a new blood coming in. There, there's new. The, the pitching staff is all new. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we got to get these guys used to a younger catcher too, you know, that's going to grow up with them and that they can, can you know, they can uh, believe in just like when, uh, you know, uh, Cole Hamels is coming up and, and Brett Myers is coming up and all these guys are coming up, you know, they trusted Carlos Ruiz. Right. You know, now it's time, you know, the, the, the torch needs to be passed. And, um, and someone else has to, to step up. Yeah. And it might not be Rupp either because they have, they have Andrew Knapp who has appeared on the, on the back end of some top 100 prospects list. Uh, because last year he was, after he was called up to Reading, he hit 360 with a 1050 OPS. Um, he was one of the hottest hitters in minor league baseball for the second half of the season after being called up, um, so he might be a guy if if his defense kind of comes together. That's always kind of the rap on Andrew Knapp. Uh, I just rhyme there, but uh, like it. yeah, he you know he's he's definitely a bat first catcher. Um, and then of course they have Jorge Alfaro who came over in the Cole Hamels deal, um, who should be healthy and ready to go this year. So you know you might see you might see Knapp start the year with the Iron Pigs and Alfaro at Double A. You might see Alfaro with the Iron Pigs, Knapp start in Double A. Those are two guys, though, that that really could become the catcher of the future, um, both offensive minded, although Alfaro has some some defensive ability as well. And then the fifth the fifth catcher that was invited to Major League Camp was J.P. Arancibia, <laughs> who is uh, one of my favorite names in baseball. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a that's a true veteran right there. So. It's going to be interesting to see where he could fit in, if he can fit in, or if he, you know, he even makes the trip north. Yeah, he's he's a guy. I mean, the Phillies actually only used three catchers last year, which is kind of low for them. Um, you know, they usually average catchers tend to get injured. Um, over the past couple of years, they've used anywhere from four to five. We've seen guys like Pete LaForest. Um, who was the who was the Hawaiian catcher that they had for a bit? Uh, Dane Sardinia. <laughs> yes, Sardinia. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you always see you always see kind of you always see catchers that you don't expect to to break camp with the team or or play with the team at some point. But here's a here's an inter- the most interesting thing about RNCBA that that I like is um, obviously he's a power hitter. Uh, he he can hit home runs, things like that. He was taken with the twenty first pick in tw- in two thousand seven. Um, the Phillies could have taken him, but they took Joe Savory with pick 19. Um, in between, uh, the Phillies missed out on Ben Revere. Uh, they missed out on Todd Frazier. They missed out on Rick Porcello, on Sean Doolittle, uh, Neil Ramirez, who's been a, a decent reliever. And then at pick 48, still on the board, one of the current best players in baseball, Josh Donaldson. So, wow, yeah, there were teams that missed multiple times on Josh Donaldson. <laughs> yeah, now they're all kicking themselves, you know. And that's the thing with the with the draft; it, it's such hit or miss. You don't know, and and that's one of the fun things about baseball is some of these guys develop into players. Five or six years after they they're they're traded for us, or, or after they're drafted. So, I mean, that's one of the fun things about baseball to me is going back and seeing what you missed on, what you could have gotten better. You know, um, you know how many number one picks have, have really just gone the way of nothing, and uh, you know that's that's one of the fun parts of baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Well. We're going to, we're going to uh, reveal the answer to the trivia question uh, from last week. We do have a winner, so we're really excited. We're going to send out that Ken Giles bobblehead. We'll, we'll need to grab this, uh, this person's address 
But last week we asked who was the seldom used Phillies reliever uh, in 1980 that hit a triple and later scored a run in his only major league plate appearance. And Steve, I know you know the answer. Yes. And what was funny was you had texted me this question and I knew the answer right away because I watched this game as a seven-year-old and remember it, watching it on Prism. And it was just one of those things. And the guy's name was Scott Menninghoff. And he was a obviously a seldom used pitcher, and he got a, a, a you know a good at bat, and he hit one in the right hand corner, and it, old Veteran Stadium ran it in or ran it around for a triple. And as a seven year old kid, I thought, man, this is the next Steve Carlton, and <laughs> I was wrong. But Scott Menninghoff is one of those guys that becomes that trivia question because of you know he did not last long at at all and is he even still alive <laughs> yes he's still alive he's not in jail like our good friend ray Rowe. uh but <laughs> he he uh he made his major league debut on april 13th 1980 and that was the same night he went ahead and, and uh i believe that's the same night he went and went ahead and hit the hit the triple but he yeah he talk about first round picks that didn't pan out he was the phillies first round pick in 1977 he was the number 22 pick overall. And, you know, maybe not the next Steve Carlton, but you expect a little bit more out of your out of your guys, out of your first-round picks. Um, that year was a pretty good draft at Harold Baines uh, at number one, Bill Gullickson at number two, very underrated pitcher, uh, Paul Molitor at number three. Wow. Yeah, and then right ahead of Scott Munninghoff at number 20 to the Dodgers went Bob Welch. So... Wow, the, the, the late Bob Welch. Did, did is he passed away? <laughs> he did, just... You know, and it's it's crazy because of you know Tony Phillips passing away this week. I had read that you know, um, you know, part of that A's team. There, there's three members of that A's World Series team that is now uh, now dead. Wow. I'm yeah. trying to think of the third one. It, it was Welch, uh, Phillips, and now somebody and somebody else. Yeah, did you know that that speaking of Tony Phillips, I, you know, I saw a really interesting stat between 1990 and 1997, only two players got on base more than Tony Phillips. Mm-hmm. Which, what a shame! Fifty six years old, yeah, way, way young. absolutely very, very, very underrated player, uh, great player. But um, the Phillies in 1977 could have had Dave Henderson. Uh, Dave Henderson was still on the board at 26. Uh, they took Munninghoff at 22nd. So, you know, well, as a seven year old kid, I, I was. I was definitely in on that pick. <laughs> well, we do have a winner. Uh, the winner of the Ken Giles bobblehead is Jim Zawicki. So thank you for listening, Jim. Um, his Twitter handles at Jim Zawicki. He sent in. Uh, he wrote at Phillies Nation trivia, and then the answer, which is how you can win this week's trivia question. Steve, I didn't throw this one by you this week, but uh, it you might you might get this one. It is it is tough though. Um, this week we are looking for the player that the Phillies acquired. Uh, this past offseason, that is a gold glove winner. And we have a great prize to send out. But there was actually a player that the Phillies acquired this offseason that has won a gold glove. Oh, I like it. I like it. I think I know. I'll, I'll text you after after we're done recording. Give me my pick. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, we'll throw that out there. I think this time we'll send out maybe an Iron Pigs uh, trading card set. Or maybe uh, I have a pride of the Phillies. Uh, a nice pride of the Phillies, what do they call it, print that we can send out as well. So we'll see. We'll dig through the goodie bag of prizes and see if we can send out something good to this week's winner. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. You know, make sure you listen. Make sure you subscribe. We're going to be here all year. You know, next month I'll be heading down to spring training. Um, I don't know if it's an official capacity. We're going to have to talk about credentials. <laughs> right. You know, I, I'd like to go down there as a member of Phillies Nation and, uh, you know, represent as a, I'll catch some spring training games with my brother-in-law, my little two-year-old. But, uh, you know, keep subscribing, keep throwing us your, your thoughts. I love getting the, the tweets this week. And, uh, you know, tell us what you're looking forward to because, you know, we're, we're looking forward to this season. We want to know what you're, you're thinking too. Yeah, next week I think we'll take a look at some of the infielders. So if you have any thoughts on, on the infield coming into 2016, definitely let us know. Um, at Phillies Nation, at King Carino, right, Steve? Yes. And uh, at Ian Riccoboni are the, the three ways you can tell us. 
you know, definitely uh, please rate, review, subscribe to us. Uh, we're on iTunes. We are on Podcast Attic if you have a uh, Android device. Uh, we're also on SoundCloud if you just like to stream it. You can just stream the podcast there. Um, so a lot of different ways. There's no excuse <laughs> not to uh, not to listen to to Steve and myself. And Steve, next week um, you are going to be in Las Vegas. Uh, as a part of Ring of Honor's 14th anniversary with the stars of Ring of Honor in New Japan. Yes, and, and you know what? I'll be coming to you live via Skype uh, on <laughs> Saturday morning from my, my hotel room. I, I guess, you know, we do these early morning on Saturday, so I'll have to get out of the, uh, I'll have to get out of the casino to, to, you know, patch in and see what I got. But I will actually be reporting live with all the, you know, uh, what's going on in Vegas with, you know, who's who's got the best odds, who's got the worst odds. We're going to see, you know, it's going to be a nice Vegas edition of uh, Phillies Nation podcast. Yeah, maybe we can get Kevin on, too, to uh, to rip the Mets. I mean, get, get some stuff. He is soft... a stinking Mets fan. I don't, I don't want him. I don't want any of those guys <laughs> that aren't Phillies fans around. <laughs> so, yeah, live from Vegas next week. We're looking forward to it. Uh, you know, we try to keep it baseball heavy, but we definitely understand with our, you know, definitely with with Steve's expansive wrestling history and and my foray into Ring of Honor and Women of Honor broadcasting that that those questions come up. Keep those questions coming as well. We we certainly can answer those. Uh, but I think that's I think that's it for this week, Steve. That's that's definitely it, man. It's the ninth inning, and you know there's three outs, so we'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week on the Phillies Nation podcast. 